This message is brought to you by The Covenant Nation. Praise the name of the Lord. It's a great honor, great privilege to be here once again. And uh, should I apologize for coming virtually last year? Uh, COVID did a number on all of us, but I'm happy that I could come this year. It's a great honor. It's a great privilege. Thank you so much. Be seated in God's presence. Thank you, Pastor Bojuth and your wife and the ministry here. Thank you for considering it worthy uh, to invite me again. Uh, normally, when you are invited more than twice, it means you must be doing something good. So I've come, I think this is my fourth or so time, about the fourth, so I must be doing something good. <laughs> it's, it's a great honor. And for all the great generals of God, Pastor Miko, God bless you. It's good to see you again. Uh, I met him years and years ago uh, in, in this country uh, through Pastor Hafford uh, Iluputaife. Uh, that's how I met him. And uh, he's been very consistent in, in, in bringing the word of faith and being an encouragement to the body of Christ. Thank you so much. I, when I got your theme... The sound of many waters just confused me. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what, what am I supposed to preach? So I, I suppose you heard from God. And, and the sound we all make this week will be the sound of many waters uh, as different streams of waters come in and minister life to us. I believe that God will speak to us in a very profound way. Uh, this platform is a very unique one. Uh, it has quality, it has integrity, it has depth, it has character. And, uh, and so being on it uh, is, is, is something... Uh, honorable and something to be cherished, and I cherish this moment very much. I'm going to try to work my way around the sound of many waters, uh, and so I have two sessions, uh, so I'll do a part one of my message today, uh, and a part two uh, tomorrow, and I have titled my two-part message, The Works of Man and the Acts of of God, the works of man and the acts of God. And I'm trying to create a balance and understanding of our role in what God wants us to do. When God wants to do something, uh, he doesn't always do it by himself. He requires that we do something before he acts. And that's where we're talking about the works of God and the acts of man. And normally when we talk about works, 
uh, works, uh, there is a, there's been a big controversy between works and grace. What is grace? What is works? Is grace works? Is works grace? Should we work at all? Should we only depend on grace? And, and sometimes these arguments can get very protracted and a bit difficult for people to make up their minds what uh, should be done. Um, but generally, when you read the New Testament, uh, there, there are two writers you'll find who use the word works in different ways. The Apostle Paul uh, talks a lot about works. And, and then the, the Apostle James also talks about works. And if you listen to the context within which both apostles use the words, it would appear that Paul is saying that works profit nothing. It would appear. I'm not saying he said that, but it would appear that that is what he's saying, that uh, by the works of man, no one shall be saved. And then when you read James, he seems to imply that without works, you cannot be saved. Uh, and so you're conflicted. I mean, which is which? Is it Paul? Is it James? Um, and are they confused? Are they, are they teaching us opposites? To, to, to be able to understand Paul and James, they use the same words, but they mean two different things. And so when Paul talks about works, he's talking primarily about the law of Moses and the activities under the law of Moses, the sacrifices under the law of Moses. That's what Paul is talking about when he says works. When James is talking about works, he has nothing to do about the law of Moses. He doesn't even have that in mind. He's talking about the activities of your spirit after you've been born again. So James says the way to show that you've been born again is through the activities of your spirit, and he calls it works. And so he says that if you want to see a person's salvation, you judge his works. Paul says if you want to be saved, no works at all. And Paul is meaning that if you're going to rely on the works of the law, obeying the sacrifices of the Old Testament, you cannot be saved. So he uses the word works in a different context. James uses works in a different context. Now, in what context then am I talking about works? I am neither talking about the works of the law, Neither am I talking about the activities of your born-again spirit, as James implies, but I am talking about purposeful action. Purposeful action from your part that leads to a divine work of God in your life. So that is my definition. I hope you get it. So when I say works, the works of man, I'm not talking about the works of the law. 
I'm not even talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm talking about purposeful action, things you have to do in order for the acts of God to be manifested in your life. And to illustrate what I am talking about, I'm going to take you to a passage in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua and chapter number 10. Joshua chapter number 10. And we will start our reading from verse 5. And it says from verse 5, Joshua chapter 10, Therefore the, king, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, king of Hebron, king of Jamuth, some, some of these names, you know, you read the Bible, you feel like not mentioning them. <laughs> what is Jamuth? I mean, in this day and age. All right, some kings from some places. Lachish, Eglon, whatever they did. Gathered together and went up they and all their armies and camped against before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua sent, ascended from Gilgal and, he, and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them. For I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. What a brutal story. The background of this story is, is Joshua, as you know, is a warrior leader. He took over from Moses, who was a legislator. He made laws, and Joshua implemented them. Joshua was an action man. He was a warrior leader. And, and uh, when he started, he, his first assignment was against Jericho. And he went against Jericho, conquered Jericho. And then went on the small town of Ai and, and, and got defeated there. Later they realized it was because there was sin in the camp. When that was resolved, they went to the second battle of Ai and won it. And, uh, and when that happened, the people around got scared of the Israelites. So started making peace pacts, peace agreements with Israel. And one of the nations that did that were the Gibeonites. They signed a peace pact with Israel. And right after Gibeon had signed the peace pact with Israel, the five kings of the Amorites teamed up to attack Gibeon for betraying them. 
And so Gibeon went to uh, uh, Joshua and said, well, we have an agreement with you. We have a peace pact with you and we are being attacked. So don't forsake us. Come and help us. Joshua had no business fighting that battle, but he took on that battle. Because this was a very, very strategic battle for Joshua and Israel. Because up until now, they've been conquering one city at a time. And now they, he has the chance to conquer five at one battle. So if he goes into this battle, although it is not directly against him, the advantage is he's going to conquer a vast area and literally possess the promised land. So sometimes the greatest opportunities come with great battles. And so Joshua has to decide whether he's going to fight the five kings of the Amorites who have not provoked him to battle. They've just attacked the Gibeonites. Or he's going to keep his peace and say, well, this is not by my battle. I'm not going to get involved. So he chose to get involved. He chose to fight. He chose that he was going to get involved in this battle uh, and, 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 and trust God to win. And so Joshua gets into the battle, uh, and he had to ascend. It's a very difficult terrain he has to move in because the five kings on the, of the Gibeonite, of the Amorites, are living on a mountain. And Joshua is in a valley. So. If you know anything about warfare, you don't attack somebody on a mountain when you are in a valley. You are totally disadvantaged. They can rain stones on you. They can throw arrows at you. They can hurl spears at you. And you have no cover. However, if you want to attack them, it's going to be an uphill task. So Joshua is severely disadvantaged. But he decides that he's going to get into this battle. And so if you look at the passage carefully, it says that he ascended. He ascended. So he's going against, against uh, the mountain. It's an unnatural terrain. He's going up against the mountain. So the passage says very interesting in verse 9. And it says, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night long from Gilgal. It's a very interesting play of concepts. The word suddenly gives you the impression that it happened instantly. But all night long tells you it didn't happen instantly. So, Joshua is looking for a suddenly, but the suddenly comes through a process of all night long. And this is all night long going up against the mountain. And he's going under the cover of darkness, climbing mountains, climbing hills, and he does it all night long. That's a lot of works. That's a lot of work. 
And many of us have been climbing in life in a similar fashion. It seems like your whole life is going up a mountain and you're going all night long. And a person who travels in the night has no concept of distance and has no concept of environment and has no concept of progress. Because when you're going all night long, you don't see clearly. Your vision is not clear. The terrain is not clear. And nothing seems to be clear before you. But Joshua decided, I'm going to go all night long. It is night, but I'm still going to move on. I can't see my way clear, but I'm still going to move on. I don't fully understand the terrain, but I'm still going to make progress. May I just suggest to somebody here, you don't seem to think you are making progress because you are moving in the night. But in God's economy, although it's nighttime, you are ascending up. You are moving up. You are making progress. You are not stuck in the same place. And God is using your nighttime excursion to bring you to a place where something that has delayed for a very long time happens suddenly. Because one of the challenges we have is most of us are looking for suddenly. That instantly something is going to happen in our lives and transform our story. I I believe in instant miracles. But instant miracles are the culmination of a process. They don't just happen without a prior activity. They happen because somebody has been going all night long. For you, it may be instantly, but somebody was praying all night long before they laid hands on you. Somebody was fasting for 10 days or 12 days or 21 days before they laid hands on you. What became a a sudden miracle was a product of a long journey in the night. So that's what happens. And Joshua goes all night long. God had told Joshua, I am with you. But you know, when you're going through the night and you're going up a mountain, you don't really think God is with you. First, you don't sense his presence. You may sense the presence of some mosquitoes if you are in West Africa. You will not sense the presence of God. But Joshua kept going. That is what I call work. That is work. That is human effort. That is a human being seeking to make progress in life. That's a human being seeking to make something work. It's a pastor seeking to make his church grow. We're going to pray for some pastors today. And, and, and some of them are believing God for great growth. And you must believe God for great growth. And some are believing God that it will be a quick work. And you must believe it will be a quick work. But the instant of suddenly will be preceded by an all night long walking. And if you're not ready to pay the price to be in the dark, to be in the quiet, to struggle when nobody sees you and nobody rewards you and nobody 
applauds you. If you're not ready for that, there'll be no suddenly. There'll be no suddenly. What, what, what you see as just instantly, he's big, doesn't happen just instantly. It comes because somebody is marching all night long. For all of you pastors who are going to be prayed for, and I like what the pastor said, that you're not going to be ordained. You'll be prayed for. That, that's the first level. Go prove yourself. And then you'll come again for something extra. But it's not going to happen suddenly. If somebody gets into ministry now, and next two weeks he has 10,000 people, it means that for the last 30 years they've been walking in the dark. It just means that. It didn't happen just this week. It means for 30 years, for 20 years, they've been praying, they've been studying, they've been struggling, they've been going against the trend, they've been doing everything right with no result. And then one release, and a thousand people pack up. And you say, oh, wow, it's so easy to do it. It's like the people I hear who tell me, uh, who, you, know, you know, the easiest thing to do in Africa is start a church. You know, ignorance can be very painful <laughs> when people are totally ignorant about a field and how it operates and think that the easiest thing to do is like saying the easiest thing to do to be rich is to be a footballer. Because you saw Messi or Ronaldo or some other player and so much money. The easiest way to be rich is to be a footballer. Yes, it will make you rich, but you'll be booted, kicked for years and may never earn anything. You just have sores and broken limbs and broken legs and that's it. The team lets you off. Along the path, go and talk to most footballers. Remember, the number of people in the team is 11 people. If you add everybody reserves, everybody substitutions, 26 people. You know the people who tried? 26,000. <laughs> Only 11 got there. Think it's the easiest way to make money? Go try it. If you're an attacker, some defense people are waiting for you. Going to knock your legs until you cry for your mama. <laughs> but suddenly, somebody makes money. And we think it's easy. People say the same thing about ministry. If you think ministry is easy and the easiest thing is uh, get a big hall uh, like Pastor Podju and renovate it. And, uh, and people say, you know, uh, instead of them uh, building factories, they take over factories and turn them to churches. Where factories fail. You know... The factory failed. He bought a failed factory. 
and you think that's easy, go and ask the person whose factory failed in the first place. Nothing is easy in this world, my friends. It's going to be a long night. And then suddenly. A long night of frustration, of prayer, of fasting, of studying, of consistency, of character, of integrity. With nothing. And then suddenly. So Joshua appeared suddenly in the camp of the Amorites. And they've been doing this for a very long time in the night. And so they wake up, the enemy wakes up, and the Israelites are upon them. Who attacks in the morning? Only the person who has been traveling all night long. Because the morning is when you wake up, you are refreshed, and you do all the things. If you're a soldier, you go for a drill marches. The sergeant major will take you through all the drills, standard T's, march, quick march, and all of that. And afterwards, you go back to your camp and wait for the enemy to show up. At about 10 o'clock. But these guys, they don't show up at 10 o'clock because they've been walking all night long. So by the beginning of the morning, at the dawn of a new day, Israel is upon the kings of the Amorites, five kings, and they're totally confused because they never expected that attack. But the attack is not coming from fresh legs. The attack is coming from weary legs, weary arms, tired people. And when tired people get to the dawn, they don't sleep. You don't go to say, well, you know, we've worked all night long. Now let's take a rest and wait for the Amorites to show up. No, they start fighting. And something very interesting happens in the biblical narrative. The passage says, They came upon them suddenly after they've walked all night long. So verse 9 says, So Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. But the next verse is confusing. Because the next verse says, So the Lord routed them before Israel. Who has been marching Israel? Who is tired Israel? Who is supposed to be fighting Israel? But the verse says, God took over from Israel. And he started fighting for them. And the Lord routed them. So the question is, God, if you were going to fight, why didn't you start? Isn't that logical? I mean, those are the kind of questions I ask God. If you knew you were going to do it, why didn't you do it? 
You knew you were going to give it to me. Why didn't you give it to me? So you would get from this that there is a work of man that precipitates an act of God. That there is something God is about to do, but you have to do before he does his work. It's called works. And his work is called grace. But you never enjoy the grace without your work, your effort. That's how God designed it. You're going to do something and on the back of what you do, God does what he had predetermined to do all along. It's almost as if what he's looking for is a test. And when you pass the test, he does what he wants to do. So now the Israelites are fighting. They're throwing their swords. They're throwing their spears. But the biblical narrative says that's not them at all. That's God doing it. We have come to a season in 2023 where suddenly God is going to amplify your effort. He's going to amplify your steps. He's going to amplify your activities. And what you have done in the night, he will manifest in the light. The Lord routed them. So by this time, it's morning. So this is a morning fight. Started very early for the Amorites. They, they weren't planning on it. Had a nice sleep. Woke up before they could yawn. They were fighting. And God gets involved. So from this time onwards... The works of man seem to have come to an end. And the acts of God starts. And the acts of God starts in the battle. Something very extraordinary happens in this battle. As they were fighting, the Gibeonites took to flight. Started running. And they run into a narrow entrance. So at this point, this is a mountain top. The Israelites have climbed the top of the mountain, so it's like a plateau. The Gibeonites, no, the Amorites are now running from the battle. They want to flee. But the way of escape is between mountains. There's a narrow passage. So as they try to run out, they're caught in the middle somewhere. So there's a, a jam, a traffic jam. People can't move on. 
Then something very supernatural happened. God routed them. How did God route them? Verse 11. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died. God is involved in the battle. But what brought God on the battle scene is the work of man. Is the work of man. And he's raining these hailstones. Now, when you read the Bible, and I'll do a little bit of that uh, tomorrow. When you read the Bible, you have to be very careful how you interpret the scripture. You have to be very careful because the Bible is written in different forms. Part of the Bible is legal language. Part of the Bible is ceremonial language. Part of the Bible is historical narrative. Part of the Bible is poetic language. So sometimes you're reading the Bible, it starts with a historical narrative and then it shifts into poetic language. The, the tools you, you use to interpret historical narrative is not the same tools you use to interpret poetic language. It's very critical. Otherwise, you make a bad exegesis of the Bible. So the passage says, God rained hailstones upon them. So now the language is changing. It's becoming a little bit more fantastical. It's poetic. Because if we're not careful, we would think of God as a man. In, the, in, in understanding the Bible, there's something called an anthropomorphism. An anthropomorphism is when human attributes are given to God in his action. So the Bible will say something like, God smelled the sacrifice of Noah. It doesn't mean God has a nose like yours and God gets up in the morning when you make a sacrifice and goes, mm, oh. like he smells a nice suya and, and things that, wow, oh, this, this, this smells so good. I need to bless the guy because he's cooked a nice suya. No. That, that language is not historical narrative. It's a different context. And it is, it is helping us as human beings to appreciate an act of God the way we human beings appreciate it. But it doesn't mean God acted like a human being. I hope you get that. So when the Bible says God threw down hailstones, I don't want you to imagine God like somebody with a pile of stones around his throne and, and, and hitting people. And, and, you, know. you get that? Because, you know, people sometimes take the Bible this way and somebody says, you see how God took the stones? Everybody come to church with stones. We're going to throw stones against our enemies. Please, this is an anthropomorphism, and you have to be careful how you interpret it.
That's why people go to church with belts. To whip the devil. People go to church with swords to cut the devil. Cut him. Cut him in the name of cut him in the name of Jesus. Please. God is not in heaven piling up stones to hit people. And when you read it, and fire came from his mouth, don't don't go don't go and stand in front of people and say, Oh, in the name of oh, in the name of Jesus, fire is coming from my mouth. You're gonna mess up the scriptures, you're gonna mess up the scriptures. That's not how. So you have to know where you post a historical narrative. And now it's using a different language. You have to interpret it properly. All right. So God was not in heaven throwing down stones, hailstones. Hailstones are occurrences of nature. Like rainfall. But God who is a God of nature can turn nature to his advantage. And so God can then say, that which occurs naturally in nature, I will let occur in this particular situation using the same natural laws that makes it occur in order for my glory to be seen. Are you, are you following me? You see a similar thing in the opening of the Red Sea. The Bible said that there, would, there was all night long, there was an east wind. So the opening of the Red Sea didn't happen. Moses said, whoo, and then shh, the sea opened. No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. If you were there, you would have felt a huge wind. A huge wind, maybe like a tornado or something like that, throughout the night. Throughout the night, and then you wake up in the morning, and the wind has spread the sea. And God says, you trust me that the wind is not going to release the water back. (laughs) And walk through. God, who is the God of nature, the owner and creator of nature, can use nature as his property to favor his cause in the life of his people. We don't Ask him to, but he does it. He does it. So this is what happens in this instance. So God is now activating nature to fall on his people. The interesting thing is that the hailstones are killing the Amorites. And they're not killing the Israelites. I don't know about you, but when you are fighting in a battle, you don't say, you stand three feet from here. I'll stand three feet. You stand here. Everybody stand your location. (laughs) You know, like a game of chess. Everybody has their square. Everybody stand your location. Okay, God, we're all in position. So do your thing now. And make sure you don't hit us. In the white squares. That's not what is happening here. These people are fighting. Most of it is hand-to-hand combat. Somebody's holding somebody's head under his armpit. Somebody's pulling somebody's beard. Somebody's holding somebody's leg. And God deploys the forces of nature. And the hailstones are falling. 
and it's killing only one side. So there, I mean, what is the proposition? I have two propositions for this. The first one is probably the hailstones were laser guided and they were hitting only the Amorites. That sounds a bit, I mean, it's possible. I believe God can do all things, but it seems quite a bit drastic for my thinking. So although it's a proposition, it's not a proposition I will go with. That God is directing the stones only at the Amorites. And then it comes to an Israelite, goes around his head, hits an Amorite. That's, that's not what is happening here. So my, my, my view, although the Bible doesn't say it, but logically looking at it, I think the hailstones were hitting everybody. But on the Israelites... There was a divine protection so that although it hit them, it didn't harm them. It hit them, but it didn't harm them. Similar to Samson. You know, when, when you read about Samson and, and Samson fighting a thousand people with a jawbone of a donkey and killing them, you think nobody stabbed him. I mean, these were not like Chinese fighters in the Chinese film. <laughs> Have you watched Chinese film? Everybody, the first person can kick, 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 you knock him out. The second one can kick, 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 you knock him out. Who fights that way? I mean, that's a choreographed fight. The normal fights don't go that way. So Samson is holding the jawbone of a donkey. There are a thousand Philistines. You think they had one long line? No, they jumped on him. They smacked him with their stones, with their sword. But nothing hurt him. Nothing hurt him. The miracle was not just that he killed them with a jawbone of a donkey, but nobody's spear could take him down. And nobody's sword could take him down. Because God knows how to protect his children in the midst of battle. So what is happening? There's equal opportunity for the hailstones. That means hailstones are hitting everybody. But it's killing only one set. That shows you that when God acts on our behalf, we may go through the same experiences as everybody. In this Nigeria, in this economy, there will not be one economy for church and another economy for non-church. There is not another one economy for believers and another for unbelievers. If the economy is bad, it's going to hit everybody. But one group will be protected and the other group are not protected. The hailstones fall on everybody. And that is not a work of man. Human beings do not have the capacity to insulate themselves from a general catastrophe. But God knows how to give immunity to his children so that in the midst of a global catastrophe, when everybody is going down, one set of people will be going up. That is why when we see the judgment of the Lord in any form, we don't fear. 
That's what, exactly what God said to Joshua before he got to this fight. Don't be afraid. It's going to be bloody out there. Do you see stuff there? Stones are going to fly. But don't be afraid. I am with you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to take care of this business. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to give you victory. That's the act of God. That is the act of God. And I, I believe, you know, when COVID started, I, I believe and still do believe that it is God's way of changing the systems of our world. It is not for nothing that this disease devastated every continent except Africa. I mean, was the African COVID a nicer COVID? You think these, these viruses, one, you know, they said, oh, oh, the, you, the nice ones, nice guys, the smiley ones, let's go to Africa. Now, you think that's what happened? It's killing Americans, North Americans, killing South Americans, killing Asians, both the manufacturers of it, and they are non manufacturing <laughs> Killing both of them. Everybody is suffering. And then you go to Africa. They, they have no clinics, no hospitals, corrupt government. And they are not dying. So what is happening? What is happening? I don't know about you, but I believe we had hailstones flying. <laughs> and they hit some people and didn't destroy some people. Even the vaccine, we don't vaccinate. If we have the chance, we'll sell the vaccine. We'll do business with the vaccine. <laughs> the only thing we were doing more than every other nation is pray. We're more corrupt than them. <laughs> more uneducated. West infrastructure. The only thing we were doing more than everybody else is pray to God, Jehovah Almighty. I don't know what your hypothesis is, but I believe we had hailstones in the world and God gave a covering over some particular group of people against others. And God does not protect for nothing It's not because they are smart people or cute people or nicer people. I believe that this is the African century. I believe we have entered a new zone in our continent. Not because we, we, our leaders will repent all of a sudden, but I believe that there is going to be a suddenly, a suddenly, 
after they're marching all night long without any sign, without any hope, suddenly people have been saying, but you guys have been praying and you've 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 been praying. praying." They've almost gotten to the point of saying all the prayers we prayed are useless and non-effective. But it's happening in the night until there is a suddenly. Until there is a suddenly. And when that suddenly comes, almost instantaneously, there is transformation, institutional change, constitutional changes, systemic changes. New leaders emerge on the scene. Unlikely people come up on the scene and all of a sudden, everything we prayed for begins to find alignment. And that's why you need to pray for your nation. You need to pray for your nation because this is your election year. Next year is for Ghana. You need to pray for us and pray for every African nation having elections post-COVID. We need to be mindful. Because if my prognosis is right, I believe that the deliverance from COVID was a sign of the deliverance of a people. And I believe with all my heart that the hand of the Lord is on our continent. There's no other way to explain it. I studied COVID like a PhD thesis. I'm telling you, I studied that thing. I was reading everything. I had all the statistics in my head. I was computing all the possibilities. I was reading all the latest theories. And I follow them and they fall. 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 Finally, there was nothing that justified us not suffering the way we suffered. Have you read any tangible, cogent argument anywhere, scientific anywhere, that explains why Africa was spared? First, they said it's because we used to, we used to take tuberculosis uh, injection, injection. Until India got hit. They had take more tuberculosis than us. And they got hit badly. They said, oh, because malaria, malaria. We, India has malaria. Brazil has malaria. And there's no argument. Why a country like Burkina Faso didn't suffer? Mali didn't suffer. Niger, Chad, Mauritania, Guinea-Bissau. What did these countries do? You think their leaders were smart? No. (laughs) They had better policies. I beg to differ. I can have only one logical conclusion. That something outside of ourselves, something beyond ourselves and our abilities, was at work. 
And I believe it's for a purpose. We will not be delivered to continue being stupid. If we were delivered, it means something greater and better is coming. So suddenly, there will be change. Suddenly, there will be transformation. Suddenly, there will be a turning around. Because the God we serve, he works. He shows his acts after we have worked all night long. We have prayed in the bushes. We have prayed and we have cried to God. Sometimes prayed ignorantly. Sometimes prayed with knowledge. Sometimes prayed foolishly. But it's all prayer. Calling upon God for redemption. And I believe he hears. My Bible tells me he is a hearing God. He says the God's of the nations they have ears but they do not hear but the great God Jehovah whom we call upon he has ears and he hears he has hands and he acts and we have just seen an act of God on our land the God of grace requires that his people work and in their work he shows his acts think about it if you saw an Amorite who survived and you asked the Amorite what went wrong how, how did you lose the battle hailstones we don't know where they came from hailstones hitting us all over the place hitting us all over the place if you saw an israelite and you say how did you win the battle hailstones we don't know where they came from they were just hitting all over the place and all of a sudden we had no enemies same instrument one for redemption the other for destruction but the same instrument and that's why as, as believers, we don't fear the judgment when we see it. Because God knows how to deliver his people from judgment. It may hit, but he protects his own. Somebody who asked me, are you really saying Africa is God's people? His people. <laughs> I know. We don't look like God's people. <laughs> we don't look one, one bit like God's people. Even the good people don't look like God's people. Church people even don't look like God's people. Church people will crook you like nobody else. We're not perfect. You remember what... The conversation between Abraham and God about Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't say, well, all, if all the people are righteous. He says, if I find ten, I think we can count ten on our continent. 
He says, if I can find 10, I will spare the whole land. Some people believe Sodom and Gomorrah had a population of between 10,000 to 100,000. I don't think 100,000. I think 100,000 is too much. Although that is, some biblical historians say that. But going by that, it means that just 10 people doing right can salt, redeem, cover a thousand, even if they are wrong. God doesn't need all of us to cover all of us. He doesn't need everybody praying right to answer our prayer. He just needs 10 doing it right. And people who have been doing it consistently, sometimes in the quiet, they may not have big ministries, they may not be popular, but they're doing it consistently in the quiet and laboring in the night and laboring in the night and suddenly a whole continent is covered because some people got it right. And I believe there are people who have been on their knees for this continent, have been making the right declarations, right proclamations, have been standing in integrity and standing in righteousness and standing in honor. And for their sakes, God will redeem our land. If you look at your politicians, you think your nation is doomed. And it's very easy to think so. But that's not what God is looking at. God is not looking for the politicians. He's not looking at the politicians. He says to Elijah, you think I don't have people who have not bowed? Elijah says, I don't see them. He says, I see them. I'm Jehovah. I see them. You don't have to see them, but you have to trust. I know those whose heart are right. And for their sake, I will redeem the land and I'll redeem the people. I believe that we are getting into a new phase of African emancipation. And I believe what we came out of is a prophetic picture of where we are going into. And I believe with all my heart that the light is dawning upon us. It's been in the night for so long, all night long, but it's dawn and the hailstones are falling and God is getting us the victory. Somebody give the Lord praise this evening. I don't know about you, but I know people have needs here and people want God to do things for them, but I just feel we should pray for our country. We should pray for Nigeria. Nigeria is the big powerhouse of Africa. If Nigeria wakes up, we all wake up. Nigeria sleeps, takes us all to sleep. It shakes itself, everybody stares up. We just want to pray for a suddenly in Nigeria for all the prayers that have been prayed from the 1940s into the 1950s and 60s 
and 70s and 80s. Men and women who labored and never saw the light. That suddenly in our time, we will see the fulfillment of the desires of fathers and mothers of this nation who cried to God for redemption, for salvation, for a turnaround. And we just want to pray that there will be a suddenly. Somebody say suddenly. suddenly. Say it one more time. Say suddenly. suddenly. Say it with faith. Say suddenly. suddenly. Lift up your hands to the Lord. For your nation. For your nation. For your destiny. The people of this land. For every state. For every tongue. For every tribe. For every people. For Nigeria. together under mysterious circumstances but still has the hand of God upon it. Ikadori idere mozaya resto kafari nimodari izegria lobadari isepreya tosene kashiede de moza megonia zagayana but evil shall not prevail the night shall not continue forever Mazo elebo shikia lamadavaru andarebosia. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let there be a shift. Let there be a shift. Let there be a suddenly. Let the prayer of the righteous be heard. Let the nation respond. Let there be victory in our battle. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Mention the names of your states. Of this nation by name. Mention them by name. And speak to the states. Speak to the states. Speak to the states. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Every state. Every state. With this system and the nations in it and the tribes in it and the languages spoken in it and the people in it and the men and women in it and the children in it in the name of Jesus redeem the land O Lord In the name of Jesus, can you play the national anthem of your nation? Just play it on the instruments. We want that as the background as we pray for the nation. The national anthem. Just pray for your play your national, the instrumental version.
Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this nation. We thank you for the people in this nation. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that all the tears, the cries, the prayers, the fastings that have gone on for decades over this land the night travails the gathering of people together and the prophetic utterances that have gone forth that as we have heard your word and your judgment has been released into the atmosphere that we'll begin to see the fulfillment of the prayers and the cries of the saints that the full potential within this country shall be realized in our own generation and that this generation that stands here this evening will be the generation that will bring this country into the fullness of his glory in jesus mighty name amen hallelujah